Footy Ado, the Delusional Soccer Podcast. Footy Ado, a soccer delusion shared by two brothers in close association. And we're doing things a little bit differently today. Um, As I tweeted out before, Jared is a busy, busy man between working and uh, play rehearsal. He's got a lot on his plate. He's got a play coming up that he's acting in. So uh, he's taking a step back just this week. I'm sure we'll have him back next week. Um, But joining me today is a good friend, Martin Hawkins. Uh, He is the Arsenal content manager um, at Last Word on Football. You can follow him on Twitter at LWOS Martin. And listen, while you're at it, give a follow to Footy Ado if you have not already. But Martin, welcome in. Hi, how do you do, Zach? I'm doing just fine. How are you today? <laughs> oh, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I'd uh, love to get a chance to talk to you. Um, you are, uh, it's, I like bringing new guests on, you know, switching things up, um, getting to talk to someone for the first time. Um, we will be touching on uh, Arsenal's FA Cup result, um, the match that mm-hmm. just ended, um, a little bit later on. Um, this this podcast will probably have mostly an Arsenal twist to it, considering um, my fandom, where I the team I write for, and of course, you being the content manager. <laughs> yeah, and my extreme bias as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we, we are always on Footy Ado, admittedly biased. Um, just this time, it's an it's in all Arsenal perspective, unlike most weeks where we have one from Arsenal and one from Chelsea. So um, let's uh, jump right into it. The biggest result from the Premier League this weekend, um, Watford 3, Liverpool 0. I, it's yeah, hello. A couple days later, and I still can't actually wrap my head around the fact that this happened. Um, we were so, Yeah, I we for one so haven't stopped close. smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it, man. Um, we... Uh, we had some false hope. Uh, the last time Liverpool played against West Ham, they trailed in the second half, and of course, Liverpool came back to beat the Hammers. And uh, if you listen to the pod last week, I absolutely tormented West Ham and uh, was very adamant that I wanted them to go down. Now that Liverpool <laughs> uh, have actually lost a match, I'm not going to say I'm still on that bandwagon. That It doesn't bother me as much. But I will be surprisingly rooting for Watford to stay up. Yeah, same here. I mean, and they actually look like they have a decent chance to do it. I mean, after spending so long in that relegation zone, they finally heaved themselves up. And compared to some of those other ta- uh, clubs down near the bottom of the table, they seem to have a slightly easier run-in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's... It's a, a cra- it was a crazy weekend for the relegation zone. For the first time in over five years, all three teams that started the weekend in the bottom three won. So unfortunately for Norwich, they still sit in the bottom of the table, but wins for West Ham and Watford actually bring them out of the drop zone. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And especially for, for West Ham, I think, they were looking down and dusted for a while there till they came back with that 3-1. I mean... Well, I shouldn't say especially West Ham, but because of the uh, magnitude of Watford's win. But yeah, huge surprise on both parts. Yeah, and you know, in in this Watford match, and you know, I'm watching it. And, okay, one nil in the 54th minute, um, Sar scores his full, first goal. I'm like, okay, but like Liverpool are probably still going to win this match three one, mm-hmm. right? And then he scores again just a few minutes later. I'm like, all right, then there's still <laughs> you start there's, to get some chance, belief. But, like, <laughs> it's like that that thing where you kind of start to smile and you. You're telling your body, no, no, absolutely not. Um, and Yeah, don't jinx it. <laughs> yeah, please don't do it. And then after Troy Deeney scored, after the, a horrible back pass from uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's had a mm-hmm. fantastic season, um, and Deeney gets played in and just puts it home. And at that point, that's when I allowed myself to uh, to actually smile and enjoy what, what I was watching. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, it was uh, an absolutely incredible game because Liverpool just, they had the ball, Watford didn't, so you, you just kept thinking throughout the first half and the first part of that second half, if either side's going to break through, it's going to be Liverpool, but, you know, the soccer gods smiled on Watford, especially uh, for that third one, as you mentioned, with a, a really uncharacteristic mistake from, from TAA, it must be said. Yeah, and it's that's the whole thing, it's they, they have been so good this season, and they just have, they haven't been making those mistakes. Each team at some point makes a mistake like that and Liverpool seem to kind of be immune to that um, I I mentioned last week that they don't really they don't really know how to be complacent let alone have a worry that they're gonna become complacent and they they're in a, a little bit of a, a rough stretch right now um, especially with that with this loss the loss to Atletico Madrid and you know will they be able to turn that result around mm. um, it's a weird point in the season for for Liverpool yeah yeah and even in the league I mean as you mentioned they just barely got through West Ham last weekend and the weekend before that uh, it was only 1-0 uh, against Norwich against bottom of the table Norwich so uh, it looks like they're going through a little bit of a wobble at the time if, if you can call it a wobble yeah I mean for a club like this I guess it, I guess it's uh, this is the closest <laughs> to a wobble that we're gonna see good um, point <laughs> and like it, Listen, they lost a match. They're still, you know, in all likelihood, um, going to not only win the title, but comprehensively. Win it before April, it, yeah. it looks like. <laughs> um, and, you know, they they probably will st- still break the record for points in a season. Um, mm-hmm. And as well as wins in a season. But the one thing that they will not do, they will not break uh, yes. the Invincibles uh, <laughs> record of no losses in a Premier League season and uh, they they don't reach that 49 match unbeaten streak so um, Arsenal fans like us uh, can definitely feel a bit more relaxed now yeah, I think there was a collective sigh of relief around the world from every single Gooner as soon as the full-time whistle blew on Saturday uh, because both of those reasons. And, and I think as well because we had that gut punch on, on Thursday night in the Europa League where you know we had the away goal, we had the lead, we were playing at home, all signs pointed towards a win, towards advancement, and then we just uh, pulled an arsenal, I guess you should say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it surely is the banter era. For Arsenal, and uh, I don't quite know when that's going to end. Um, I would like to think that it's going to be under Mikel Arteta, um, mm. but I'm not. I'm not the most uh, optimistic uh, fan, I guess. No? Um, I don't know if that's different for you. If you if you go into a season with optimism, optimism for your club every year, but uh, I just can't find myself. I I can't think that way because you know it's almost like if i have hope and it gets why why hope at all if it's just going to get crushed i'd rather be pleasantly surprised yeah yeah true set your uh, your expectations low so you'll never be disappointed yeah yeah I, I would say i'm the sort of fan where i i try to manage my expectations but i just can't help it you know entering the season you know even after that that uh, collapse uh, last spring I still thought you know what we were in third with a few games to go we were in the Europa League final perhaps perhaps next season we can make it to the Champions League but you know as you said if I had just you know set my sights on mid-table to begin with well I, I'd be very satisfied right now probably well not satisfied <laughs> but <laughs> yeah yeah I would, I would be much more content than right now <laughs> yeah um and just showing what it means, even, you know, the Arsenal Twitter account tweeted after the, the full-time whistle went, just, few, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and that that alone got 100,000 retweets, 370,000 likes. Um, and then, of course, uh, about a minute later, they they uh, congratulated uh, Liverpool on a formidable unbeaten run. Um which you have yeah, to Yeah, one of those backhanded compliments, you know, yeah. just just reminding them, hey, we're, we're, we've still got that one. Yeah. You may have your one hand on the league title already, but we, we still have our record. Listen, you Records. Might have, yeah, you might have won more matches in a row than we have points this season, but <laughs> that one record still, still stands. Um, it's ours. <laughs> the, the one golden trophy that is now, of course, in the hands of Arsene Wenger. Mm. Um, and it, it does mean a lot. And you, you kind of see... Um, some Arsenal fans thinking the same way that we are, some not happy that people are celebrating 
this result considering where Arsenal do stand. And I think that right. that does play a little bit of a factor in um, how happy we can be. Um, but nonetheless, Liverpool, by far the best team in the country this season. Still 28 matches played, 26 wins. It doesn't that that's tough to wrap your head around. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just to sort of underline things, let's not forget in the Invincible season, it was uh, uh, 26 wins, 12 draws for Arsenal. Yeah. So Liverpool already have as many wins as we had in that Invincible season, which, I mean, I, and to add to your point from earlier, I think it just sort of underlines the uh, the state of the club at the moment that this is the sort of result that we're celebrating. You know, instead of uh, focusing on our own achievements, we have to look elsewhere. So, yeah, a little bit is- of... Uh, how, how should I put it? It's it's sort of emblematic of our issues, the fact that we're celebrating this. Yeah, and that was almost the case last season. Like, um, mm. under Unai Emery, you know, the stumbled to the finish line and did not get top four. We still had the Europa League final to, uh, to lean on to get into the Champions League. That went just about as bad as it could go. <laughs> um, although that Alex Iwobi goal probably put a few, uh, a few million... Um, onto his uh, transfer fee yeah. to Everton, but um, yeah, and thank then, you, Toffees. Yeah, and then you know, a few days later, we were we were able to celebrate Tottenham losing in the Champions League final. But yeah, a one, another of, one of those collective sighs of relief moments. Yeah, <laughs> it's not as much of I'm completely as happy as I could be. I'm just not as miserable as I could be. Um, yeah, and you know that I remember. I remember the day um, of the Champions League final. I'm remember the day of the uh the europa league final too and they were both Mm. just about as agonizing as the other um you know uh, a couple of buddies you know my my brother his girlfriend me my girlfriend a a buddy of mine who you know i used to record a podcast and his girlfriend we all went out to philly and watched it uh the europa league final at uh, misconduct tavern with the arsenal supporters and it was just a a crushing defeat and then uh, for the Champions League final, I was actually working, and I couldn't Oof. watch it, and that almost made it worse. And of course, my brothers decided to play a trick on me. And when uh, Divock Origi scored, mm-hmm. uh, they sent a, a message in a group chat to me that said "goal," and they said "son tied it." So I'm like, oh, oh so you're having heart palpitations yeah, so over there. I, Meanwhile, they're they're having a fit. <laughs> yeah. Then I went to look on Twitter, and it was actually two 0 So uh, that that was the sigh of relief there, um, which was that was a a bit of a uh, a rough few minutes until I actually figured it out. But, oh yeah, yeah. I hope you got them back for that. Yeah. That was that was an evil thing to do. I'm still find, trying to find a way because I haven't found anything that. Uh, that can really top that. And, you know, when I, I if I'm getting revenge on somebody, I, I don't need to just even out what they did. I need to one-up them. So uh, I'm going to take my sweet time with that. And I, I'm sure one of these days I'll figure something out. But Yeah, I guess next time his team's in a cup final, if that ever happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's uh, – I just want to – before we kind of move away and talk about some of the other results from the uh, mm-hmm. Premier League this weekend, I kind of want to just focus on what type – of achievement this is for Liverpool. You know, there's always talk about, oh, well, you know, the Chelsea team the next year after the Invincibles got more points than Arsenal did. Okay, but they still lost a match. They, Where does this team rank, this Liverpool team rank, in the history of English football? It's tough to say. I, I, I think right now, even with 10 matches to go, we can say that they are a historic team. I mean, just like uh, Pep Centurions a, a couple of years ago, uh, being the first club to break 100 points, just like the Invincibles will always be remembered for being the Invincibles. But maybe not as many people are going to remember Marino's Chelsea as being, you know, an all-time great Premier League team. Um, they, they are, it looks like, going to, yeah, make a, a record number of points, record number of wins. Uh so I, I would say that they would go maybe not down as the greatest side, but one of the great sides. I, I think definitely. Yeah, I think they'll. I think it'll be a, a nice discussion, probably in the top three, um, mm. um, if not a a comfortable two. If you're going to put the uh, the invincible season ahead of that, but I mean, it wouldn't be. You know, I know their form is a bit. Uh, they, they've hit a bit of a dip, and now that they've lost, obviously they're going to 
put all of their focus onto you know getting the title. But mm. once that hits, do they still keep their foot on the gas? Because you know, th- there's thirty points left. If they won their final ten matches, that's a hundred and nine points. That like it's just stupid right there. <laughs> unimaginable. You know the the success that Liverpool have had this year, match with the success that City have had in the past few seasons. It's it's a dominant era in the Premier League, regardless of the team that comes out on top. You know, you look across the you know the top five leagues where PSG have won how many in a row? Juventus, uh, Bayern Munich. In the Premier League, it's happening um, in, at least in the past few years, but it's not always the same club, but. You know there is one team that seems to uh, be on a record ba- record breaking track every season now. Yeah, I, I think it's at least part uh, partly got to do with just the money that the Premier League has. I uh, remember I, I heard a, a very worrying statistic at the at the time about uh, two three months ago that held that uh, Juventus had made less money last year than I believe Watford or something something along those That's lines incredible. specifically because of. Uh, of the uh, television revenue that's come into the league. And so you have, you know, arguably two of the best uh, uh, managers of their generation, Klopp and Guardiola, in the league. Uh, until recently this season, there was also Pochettino. Uh, good luck finding three better managers out there in the world. Yeah. You've got you've got some of the world's best players playing here, many of them, uh, making ridiculous wages, it, it must be said. <laughs> So I think that that's at least partly got to do with it. If you just if you offer enough money, you're going to attract the top talent. Um, I, I think part of it also just has to do with momentum. Uh, at least in the past couple of seasons, you know, uh, or past three seasons. Right now, Liverpool, they're, they're you know they uh, nobody can touch them. So and they just keep getting win after win after win. Obviously, you, you win your last game, your next game gets a little bit easier to win. Uh, we saw it, I think, two years ago with uh, with Pep City. Whereas last season, it was more of a um, uh, the two sides were simply pushing each other to be great. So, uh, you know, it, it it's a combination of things. But like you said, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things that, we, like you said, when you get used to winning, it's just it comes becomes second nature. It's like mm. you know when you know say an FA Cup match, it's a Premier League team that's towards the bottom and a Championship team that's towards the top. That Championship team is far more used to winning at that point. Mm. Um, and that you know that's why we see a lot of cup sets. You know sometimes it doesn't happen that way, and sometimes it's just um, the magic of the cup, and you know a True. team's better on that day. But when you have a team on a big winning streak versus you know an outfit that's higher paid, uh, you know a a better squad on paper, it doesn't always pan out. But you know this Liverpool team, they're used to going out there, they're used to grinding out the result. They get their lead and they hold their lead, and that's been the case pretty recently. Um, except now they've allowed five goals in their past two Premier League games, which is more than they allowed in probably the past ten matches combined. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, only 20 goals shipped the entire season, yeah. and a quarter of them have been these past two games. Yeah, so I'm interested to see the mindset um, of, of Liverpool the next time out. You know, when they, they come out next weekend... Um, and, you know, in the league, they, they face Bournemouth, who are in the drop zone. It's a game at home, and Bournemouth will need to... Bournemouth need points. They're desperate for points wherever they can get them. Um, so I'm interested to see what the, the mentality of Liverpool is um, going into yeah, that game. Yeah, if, if I could take a guess, I, I think that this loss will, if anything, will actually help them. Because whether or not the players or whether or not Klopp likes to admit it, uh, this winning run has been on their mind. This this uh, almost perfect season, this invincible season has been on their mind. Now that they don't have it anymore, they can just put that to one side and just get back to, to playing soccer, just get back to, to playing football. Sorry, you might need to uh, cut that last part out. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's, it's just going to be sort of a, a weight off their shoulders. Um, and especially this next game against Bournemouth, I think they're going to be, they just really want to prove, they're going to want to prove that they are as good as they have shown uh, up to this point in the season. So I think Bournemouth, you know, they're, they're going to play their hearts out just like most teams do against Liverpool. But I think that uh, we're probably going to see a, a big, big result. And I think just for the rest of the season, I think we're going to look back and see that this really is just a wobble. And uh, what do you think um, Klopp is going to make of the team selection tomorrow? Because they've got an FA Cup match against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge tomorrow afternoon. 
Um, so, it, you know, does he field a, a bit of a younger side like he has been in the Cup? Obviously, the last round was a, a one-off thing where they were on their mm. winter break, kind of a making a stand to, to the FA for scheduling the, the replay when they did. <laughs> um, but do you think they go full force and try to win this match against Chelsea? I think that Klopp will. I, I think that the top managers um, don't really like losing a game just for the reasons we were just discussing, just in order to keep that momentum going. I think we've seen that with Guardiola and his uh, relentless pursuits of, of the Carabao Cup these past three seasons. Um, he just, you know, he doesn't take a match off. And I don't think that Klopp will allow his players to take a match off, especially at this stage in the season where they need to push on and they need to get a result in the Champions League and, and they want to want to uh, close out finally, you know, getting this first uh, uh, league trophy in 30 years. Uh, you know, before even the, the Premier League was, was uh, around was the last time that they won. So, you know, they really want to get that monkey off their back. So I think that he will go out with a full, with a full force squad. Maybe he'll rotate here and there, one, two positions. But I think uh, overall we will see all the regular big names. Now uh, let's, let's move on and discuss the result at Goodison Park from the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, Everton won, Manchester United won. In my, you know, I, I watched this match, and in my opinion, if it was the, it was two goals where the goalkeeper uh, can pretty much take the blame for it. Um, not to take too much away from uh, Bruno Fernandez and his strike in the thirty-first minute, but uh, the mistake from David de Gea in the third minute is completely inexcusable. Um, where he clears the ball, Calvert Lewin kind of just sticks out a foot, and like Calvert Lewin said after the match. When you're in good form, sometimes you just get lucky. The bounce goes your way, and and that's what happens here. Third-minute lead for Everton, another early goal against one of the big six clubs. Um, And, you know, fortunately for for them, they come out of this match with a point. Um, Yeah. And uh, I I, I might be looking too far into it on on the goal for Manchester United because I am not... A, a big fan of Jordan Pickford. I think he's overrated. I think yeah. Everton really need a, a better keeper um, if they're going to, you know, consistently challenge for a European place, whether it's Europa League or Champions League, like they want to be competing for. Um, and he's beaten at his near post pretty easily. The ball does bounce, you know, right in front of him, and that's a, a tricky save to make. But I feel like, you know, Nine times out of ten, Jordan Pickford's not making that save. Yeah, yeah, and, and he's been picking up uh, consistent criticism, I think, basically since that last World Cup. Uh, we've seen it especially recently where he's had, he's had a few high-profile errors. Um, I think overall he is still a, a decent shot stopper. But I think that perhaps it might just be the pressure of being the England number one. Obviously, um, you know, that that's a, a huge, huge uh, position. It's also a position that's infamous for uh, whoever is occupying it, making very big, very high profile blunders. Um, as well as having just come into the, the, the uh, league so young and doing so well, I think that... Um, like we were talking before about our fandom, he, he set the bar pretty high for himself. He was at Sunderland. He was one of the few bright spots there before they went down. Then, you know, um, uh, storming onto the scene at the national team. So, you know, I can certainly understand uh, him being perceived as overrated. And, uh, you know, certainly it was it was a tricky shot, but one that your keeper has to save. I, I mean, how should I put this? Pickford didn't really face a ton of great uh, uh, shots this game. I'm just looking it up on Understat now. Man United finished with an expected goals of 1.13. Yeah, Pickford wasn't under much pressure today, so that might just be a mentality thing. I mean, if you're not, if you're a keeper and you're not very busy, if you're not standing on your head for 90 minutes, it's sometimes easy to let your concentration uh, lapse. That may have been what happened. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can definitely understand the uh, uh, the criticism. Um. I, I just think I, I think it has to be a mentality thing. I mean, we see we've seen him make great saves before. We've seen him put in great performances before. So I think he's just not right between the ears. Yeah, I uh, I think that he is. He's just one of those players, and you you get one of these every now and then. That he is just so much better for his country than he is for his club. Um, and you know, his time at Sunderland, he was he was the one thing 
that that club had going for them. But maybe, you know, the, the narrative changes when you're at a bigger club. Um, and when you have better players in front of you. And he, you know, at Sunderland, if he conceded a goal, it was, well, like, well, look what his defense did for him. You know, they didn't really give him much of a chance. Or he made three big saves earlier on in the match. At Everton, his expectations are higher. His performances, I don't know. They have not risen to those expectations. Um, They may be, he may be the same keeper. He may be making the same saves that he made when he was at Sunderland, but a bigger club, a bigger narrative to uh, to go up against, and yeah, I, bigger expectations. Yeah, you know he's one of those. There's just sometimes there's a player that you know, every now and then you you might be wrongly criticizing. I feel like I do give Jordan Pickford a hard time uh, more than I give other players a hard time, but I I don't know what it is about him that I just. Just not impressed. No, it just he he just doesn't do it for me, man. Um, And he is still uh, he's still got plenty of a career left to you know change that narrative. Um, Not that he's going to be listening in and saying, "Oh, well, I got to prove this guy wrong." But um, I think he. (laughs) Hey, you never know. Maybe he is. Maybe he's our number one fan. (laughs) That, That would be nice, man. That would be really nice. It would be a little bit of a shock considering the criticism I've given him. I don't know if he would keep listening. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe he's, he's hitting that up, unsubscribe button right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jordan, if you're listening, please don't leave us a one-star review. Um, that that won't do uh, do good things for us. Um, what did you make of the uh, VAR call at the end of this match? Because I, you know, I hate having to talk about it, but when it's such a mind-blowing call, in my opinion, um, it it really it really just you know messes the whole complexity of the game. You know, I thought that Everton were robbed of three points with this VAR decision, and I understand why it was made. I can reason. Okay, there is a player in an offside position that moves. He does move out of the way. He has to move out of the way of the ball. But do they not look at this and and see that David De Gea is not getting to this ball regardless of, you know, where the player is on the pitch um, in front of him? He's going the other way, and it sneaks in at the near post, but uh, VAR calls it off. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I I think Ancelotti had the right word for it uh, the other day. He said it was a really subjective call. I mean, did the player uh, uh, interfere with the play? Did he influence the play? I, I believe is the wording on the offside rule. Um, and you know that in and of itself uh, basically says to the referee, it's down to you. Mm-hmm. It's down to you. Do you think uh, uh, he uh, he interfered with the play or not? For me, since he got out of the way, he didn't. But then again, I, I, I don't have any of my uh, referee credentials, so <laughs> I guess it doesn't really matter what I think. Uh, so I, I think that if we want to um, get rid of these types of, of subjective calls, well, we can do it, but it's going to take a, a lot of uh, unne- oh, not maybe not unnecessary uh, wordage in the, in the rules of the game, but a lot more clarification. Uh, for example, Arsene Wenger, I think it was last week, came out and uh, and he said, well, you know, we need to already change the offside rule because, you know, if you can't score with your hands, your hand shouldn't be counted as being offside. So I think it's just another example of how we need to, um, I think most people in the game think we need to clarify the offside rules. We need to update them uh, to a, uh, especially now that VAR is being introduced, or sorry, VAR, I think we're supposed to call it this season. Uh, is now being introduced at really every uh, major competition, every major league across the world. Yeah, so, it's one of yeah, for me, just that... to bottom line, you know, bottom line, it was a bad call for me as well. Sorry yeah. about that. No, no worries. Um, it's one of those things that um, American uh, soccer fans um, are a little bit, it's a little bit different because, you know, a lot of us, you know, including myself, grew up watching American football. Um, mm-hmm. And, there's something that goes wrong in American football. There's an, a referee that turns on a microphone and makes an announcement to everyone in the stadium and everyone watching on TV, and we know exactly why they made the decision. We know exactly what the decision is, and that's it. But that being said, watching American football, you know that the the challenge system that they have, the review system they have there, is not 100%. Um, and it's one of those where 
they they do get a second chance to look at the call, and then we argue about the call that they made on the second chance that they had to look at it, and it continues to be a talking point. And I think VAR is uh, going along the same lines. Um, you know, the the biggest criticisms are the failure to use the monitors. I know that they have used them a handful of times throughout the season after uh, they started to allow the refs to use them. They're still not using them at, in all the points that they're allowed. Um, so the decision this weekend was fully Jonathan Moss's call, who's not at the stadium. He, you know, he's watching from somewhere else. He's watching from the Premier League Match Center. Um, and I think that if they want to keep VAR in place, the decision needs to be – it needs to be Jonathan Moss saying – I think you made a mistake. Take a look at this and make the call for yourself. Not, I'm going to make this call and change everything and no one's really going to know because Chris Cavanaugh at Goodison Park is just told, hey, you know, they say it's offside. I don't, I can't tell you right now what the rule was, why they ruled exactly that way. Um, but, you know, the flag's up, it's offside, it's free kick, and the goal doesn't stand. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not as much the fact that it, they that we have VAR. It's that the implementation of it is definitely uh, a little sideways. Yeah, yeah, it leaves a lot to be desired, and um, I, I think part of the criticism for you know just not going over to the to the uh, monitors on the side of the field is just conditioning. I mean, the NFL is uh, the most famous league in the world that makes use of, of video review, so it's just natural to to look at it and think, oh, that's how you do it. But um, I, I think that uh, we VAR can find success using a similar sort of system that it's doing right now. But I think it has to be a, uh, a, a consensus. There can't just be one video uh, official. There has to be at least two or three, so that way you can have a consensus. Uh, and you will, and so that way it's not just a, it's not just John Moss sitting in a closet somewhere in London, just looking at his, his little smartphone saying, well, I think that, you know, this player uh, is offside because I think that they're interfering with the play. You would have, you know, one or two other people there to also give their opinion and just, you know, and, and I think that that would um, uh, eliminate a couple of the bad calls. But um, yeah, yeah, just to touch on, on uh, the lack of explanation that fans and players are given. I think that that's by far the biggest failure for, for VAR thus far. Um, sorry to rhyme like that. Uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, for, for a fan or for a match-going experience, it's no good because you just have no idea. Nobody's even making a stadium announcement to say why you just saw a goal go in and, it's not, and the scoreboard's not reflecting that. And uh, especially for the players that not even the officials, uh, they can't even explain why the call was made. As you said, they all that they can explain is that the call was made. So I think that that needs to be, uh, excuse me, that needs to be solved first and foremost. Is just letting people know at the at the time of the incident what happened, what what a little bit more transparency. You know why not even the reasoning behind it, but just you know, uh, uh, just to make the announcement that it was you know, it was called offsides because he was um, uh, interfering with the play as opposed to saying, oh, well, the goal's no good, now let's move on. Yeah, and uh, I, I, it's definitely possible for um, VAR to work in the Premier League. It's implemented mm. very well in the Bundesliga. It does not take nearly as much time, and the calls are more often the correct call. Um, well, they've at, got efficient German people, yeah. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> let's bring them over. I don't, how much, if, if the Premier League has all that money, I think they can get... Uh, Mm. I think they can tempt the Germans to to come on over. Um, you know, it was used yeah, that, well. That is in an the interesting World point. Um, and I, you know, if it's gonna stay, and it feels like it, it will. I don't think it's gonna go. Oh anywhere. yeah, there's no going back. They, it's we've opened up Pandora's box of technology. It's not closing again. They they need to do much better with it. Um, but listen, uh. I ha we have to do it every week. We have to. T there's always a decision every week, and uh, mm -hmm. I try to spend the least amount of time thinking about it or talking about it. So, um, with that, we will move on to a result that you know another result from uh, a rival that maybe put a little bit of a smirk on your face <laughs> this week. Uh, Wolves three, Tottenham two, um, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which it is still called for some reason. Uh, they have not the figured the, out. It's the toilet bowl. Yeah, Let's they, just be honest. They have it's not the figured bowl. out a name. And go back to the beginning of the episode and listen to us telling you we're going to be a little bit biased on this one. But, uh, yeah, the Toilet Bowl uh, did not 
uh, you know, host a, a win for the in, for the home team this week. They started off pretty well. Uh, the new signing, uh, Stephen Bergwine, scores in the 13th minute. A uh, little bit, you know, Dele Alley probably should have scored on the first attempt, but uh, Bergwine puts it home. Um, Doherty scores for Wolves in the 27th minute to level things up. And then right before halftime, a right back who is so much better going forward than he is going back. Uh, Serge Aurier uh, scored in the 45th minute right before the half, but uh, Wolves come back in the second half. Um, Diogo Jota has been fantastic as of late. Um, you know, going into this one, he had five goals in two games. Um, adds a, a sixth in three games. Very impressive. And then the winner, of course, from Raul Jimenez. Um, the, the big talking point in this one, you know, they're already missing Hugo Lloris. He missed this match uh, because of, I believe, a hamstring uh, problem. So mm-hmm. Gazaniga's back in goal. He's had plenty of playing time this season um, with kind of uh, mixed results there. But they leave both Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen on the bench. Um, and, you know, they bring in uh, Tanganga and Davison Sanchez. Um I will be honest, I don't quite know if Dyer was playing in a back three or if he was in the midfield. Um, I only got to see the extended highlights of this one. Um, so I you know, did not get to assess it as tactically as I, as I would have liked. But nonetheless, sure, sure. Uh, what a result this is for Wolves. And they're always good against, against the big six. Um, what a job uh, Santo has done. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, um, granted, we need to temper all this by saying that they're owned by basically the Portuguese equivalent of the City Football Group, and, and that's that's how that they've uh, you know acquired number one such quality players, number two such quality uh, coaches, and you know basically just been able to uh, do what they've been able to do. But yeah, they've just been lighting the league up the past couple seasons, um, and, and this is just another example of as you say them turning up against the big boys. Um, I think it was especially pronounced last season where I think they had a better record against the top six than the bottom six, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that sounds right uh, to me. Yeah, so there, there are sort of shades of that uh, uh, story you always hear about Albert Einstein, about how he was terrible at school and elementary school because it was just too easy for him. Well, <laughs> kind of the same thing with Wolves, I, I think. So, yeah, they look like a club who they could step into uh, that void, that Champions League void that uh, City are going to leave uh, next season and, and finish you know, as high as fifth. Yeah, And, uh, and, and they, they're once again proving their credentials with this game. And, of course, if that ban that uh, City are appealing, uh, a two-year ban from... UEFA competitions. If that's upheld, then fifth place does get Champions League. Right now, Wolves are level on points with Manchester United, who are in fifth. Um, they just trail on goal difference. Um, and, you know, coming up next week in the Premier League, it's a Manchester derby for Manchester United while Wolves play Brighton. So if they can step up against one of the, the lower teams and City get a win over Manchester United, then Wolves find themselves in a Champions League spot. Um, and, you know, they're, they're only three points back of Chelsea in fourth. So even if mm. Man City somehow shockingly win their appeal with their hundred super lawyers that they have hired for <laughs> this, if they win that appeal, they're still, you know, very much in these last ten games, they're very much in the running for that fourth spot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is, that's a huge carrot for, for all of these clubs. But Wolves look like... Um... They might be the only ones who actually want it. Uh, <laughs> this weekend reminded me a bit of all of last season, where none of the uh, the also rans, quote unquote, from the top six, you know, United, Chelsea, us, and Spurs, uh, none of us seemed to want to win a game. Yet we almost had that same situation this weekend. And, and if a club like uh, Wolves can can uh, you know keep their form up, keep their focus, keep their concentration, yeah, you could easily see them uh, finishing fifth or, like you say, even catching Chelsea. They, they seem to be, uh, speaking of wobbles, they've kind of been wobbling the past month or so themselves. Yeah, you know, Chelsea have, you know, won once in their last, what, six matches now? Um, yeah, I believe it's six now. So... Um, a lot of work to do for Frank Lampard. Um, you know, they come up against Everton uh, this coming week. So it's really not, um, you know, out of the realms of possibility that, that Wolves find themselves finishing in the top four this season. They've been fantastic, um, you know, and there's, 
there's it's, you know, listen, ten games to play. That's still mm. it, it's still a, a quarter of the season to go. So they have to get across that finishing line, um, and you know do it well. But you know, uh, very much expect to see Wolves in Europe again, and they do have a chance to qualify for the Champions League via the Europa League. Yeah, um, a you know a big win in the first leg against uh, Getafe, or uh, were they? Was it Espanol? Am I getting my? It was Espanol. Espanol. Yeah, um, yeah. Getafe were the ones who knocked Ajax out, right? Um, so, um, I'm I'm all over the place there with uh, with, <laughs> with my Spanish clubs, um, but you know a a fantastic uh, season thus far for um, Santo and for Wolves, and you know they have a very talented squad that you know that's one of the teams that you look at. You know they need to be playing in Europe if they're going to keep a hold of all the, mm. all of the players that they have. Um, because they yeah, do very have good a, point. They do have a very good squad, especially for a team that did not, uh, that came up from the championship not so long ago. Um, but once again, a massive result for Wolves um, in the league this weekend. Just taking a look, um, uh, uh, the rest of the results this weekend: Palace won away against Brighton, uh, Chelsea with a two-two draw against Bournemouth. A very, very boring nil-nil uh, draw for Newcastle and Burnley. I apologize if anyone had to watch that. Um, a three-one. Yeah, that was win. one of those. Even you just look at it on the fixtures list, you could you could see a nil-nil coming. Yeah, you're like, eh, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, Burnley that. away plus the plus a Newcastle team who just don't seem to like even creating chances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Didn't it wasn't a recipe for success, you know? Um, West Ham beat Southampton three-one, and uh, the. The match that started the match week on a Friday night, Norwich with the big win over Leicester mm. City. We'll see if it really means much, considering what the rest of the uh, the drop zone did. Um, but let's take a, uh, a look at the FA Cup result today for Arsenal. A two nil win against Portsmouth, um, and this is where we'll uh, this is where we'll finish the pod for uh, the week. Um, and no better way to do it than an Arsenal win, at least from our standpoint. Um, the listeners Absolutely. may not feel the same, although if you've made it this far with our bias, you you may uh, share the fandom of uh, you know, <laughs> and the the pain of being an Arsenal fan. But you know, through the through the first forty minutes of this match, it it wasn't a good match from from Arsenal. Uh, Portsmouth no. were were playing very well, um, but you know, deep into first half stoppage time. Uh, Socrates scores a scores a volley, um, and doesn't even smile one little bit, um, <laughs> as you could expect. And then right after the half, uh, in the fifty-first minute, Eddie and Katia doubles the lead, and that was just about that. Um, Portsmouth never really got it going in the second half, after Arsenal uh, took that two-nil uh, comprehensive lead. Um, and then just just one mention, you know, of Lucas Torreira, who started in midfield and was stretchered off. Mm-hmm. Um, the report is that he's he's in a walking boot, um, but said that you know he said he's fine. So it looked a bad injury, stretchered off the oxygen, everything, the whole nine. But um, it seems like it's not as bad of an injury as it was once uh, thought. Yeah, of course, we have to keep in mind that uh, he, he likes to accentuate uh, any sort of contact that's made on him. So yes, maybe that hole being stretchered off, given the oxygen, maybe that was just all part of the act. We, we, we really have no way of knowing. Uh, no, but but in all seriousness, that is very good news to hear. I mean, Mikel Arteta, just like Unai Emery, just doesn't seem to be the biggest fan of Lucas Torreira for whatever reason. I think maybe it's because he's not the most robust player. He's, you know, a little five foot nothing, you know, gets winded after running for about 75 minutes. So... Uh, I think that might be a part of it, but, you know, we, we need, uh, even though we're just down to two competitions, we still do need squad depth. So having Torreira available, I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really big for us. Yeah. The squad depth is, is incredibly important at this point in the season, not nearly as much. So now after, mm. um, after the, uh, the loss in the Europa League, the result, which will not be mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair, fair. I, w- I won't bring it up again. Um, but <laughs> You know, they still want to, you know, take maximum points in the league. Um, a win in the FA Cup after such a, a hard season would be massive for this team. Um, 
and you know they're the first team to punch their ticket into the last eight, and you know they have every chance to do it because although the results haven't been what they should be, um, they still have a talented team that is capable of doing it, and they have players who have won trophies bigger than this. So um, interesting to see how they balance now the two competitions, but um, I think it's all all to play for in uh, in the FA Cup for Arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we also uh, uh, can't forget that due to how compressed uh, the table is at where we're sitting, you know, between about fourth and fifth and probably about 11th or 12th, you know, all, all of us teams are within uh, uh, not an unreasonable amount of points from thinking that whoever's 12th, they, they could potentially, you know, climb up the table from 10th. We could, we could, you know, potentially climb up to fifth. So I think that it's going to be really, really uh, crucial that, you know, we keep our fitness, we keep our sharpness and, uh, uh, well, I guess what I was trying to say is, you know, we've got every uh, reason to think that we could drop out of even a Europa League spot in the league table. I mean, as, as much as we could finish fifth, we could also drop down to 12th and finish the season down there. And, and obviously, you know, regardless of what happens with Man City's ban, 12th is never going to be a Europa League spot. So, you know, uh, not only a chance at silverware, but possibly... Uh, a chance at European football and the added uh, financial incentives that come in, that come into that. So, uh, you know, Arteta and the players can't take this one lightly. Yeah, and, you know, with missing out on the Europa League, you know, a, a team that gets to the Europa League final makes about £40 million extra. So it, even that, that would be massive to miss out on. Um, mm. We've been talking about how the club has missed out on the Champions League for how many seasons in a row. And to miss out on European football... Altogether, from a financial standpoint, not great. No, will no, it no. will it help them in the league next season? As far as you know, the the schedule not being so congested, it depends on what the owners put into the team. And you know that um, KSE has not really wanted to spend much of their own money. They're building a, a stadium in Los Angeles for the for the Rams. That's costing um, a ridiculous amount of money. Um, this is obviously not their only sports endeavor, um, and they will probably be reluctant to spend, especially if we have yeah. no European football altogether. Yeah, yeah. Not only will there, there be less money to spend, there won't be any sort of a uh, an Abramovich-flavored uh, cash injection like Chelsea got to enjoy during their uh, their one-year break from European football after, you know, then they brought in Conte, who was able to win them the, the title, of course. I, I don't think that would quite happen at Arsenal. I think that it would basically force the club's hand into a full rebuild because, uh, you know, if, if you're Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and you're at Arsenal, you've got one year left on your contract in the summer. If you don't have any type of a European competition to look forward to, even if they offer you Mesut Ozil money, it's very difficult to sign that contract. And, and you know, that would be true for a few players. So we would begin to see, you know, an exodus of players. It'd be tough to buy players, be tough to get them to sign, even if you agree to fee with their clubs. So just sort of opened up Pandora's box where we might end up with, you know, forget Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Pepe as our front three. We would have, you know, Martinelli and Ketia and uh, uh, Reese Nelson as our front three just because, you know, the others would have want to, would have wanted to have left. So, yeah, all to play for and uh, a really crucial part of the season coming up uh, with uh, a few winnable games. Yeah, and there there is, you know, a lot riding on the rest of the season. Um, mm. And... Being in the last eight of the FA Cup is massive. Um, and really, you'd want to think that we're, we want to avoid um, some of the bigger clubs in the FA Cup. You know, if it would be great if we, uh, you know, drew the winner of the uh, West Brom Newcastle uh, matchup, mm. which takes place tomorrow. But, you know, all while knowing that Man City, Manchester United, Tottenham, um, Liverpool and Chelsea, obviously one of those teams is going to be knocked out, but they're all still in it as of right now. Even a Sheffield United, you know, like there's not, there's with with the thing the way things have gone for Arsenal this season, there's not really many teams that they could get drawn against that the team is that you know, at least from my standpoint, like you said, you're, you're a little bit more optimistic, but even if we get drawn against, you know. Norwich City, if they were to beat Spurs, you have to think, like, 
okay, they beat Spurs. They can come and beat us too. We had trouble yeah. against them um, this season already. And um, that's just it, – it's – it's n- I'm not the most confident in uh, you know Arsenal getting to the final, winning this trophy, and guaranteeing oh, yeah. themselves uh, you know a Europa League spot. All the meanwhile, they're one win away from a trip to Wembley. So um, fine margins towards the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, and I will just say uh, Arsenal, we do enjoy playing at Wembley. So if we do get that one win, you know, watch out. You're, we we remember what happened in uh, 2017 when all of a sudden, you know, everything was going tits up in the league, but we be, still beat City and Chelsea en route to to an FA Cup. So is it, never say never. <laughs> is it too late to sign Aaron Ramsey on an emergency loan if we get to Wembley? <laughs> if we were in the Liga, we would be allowed to do that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know it. In a perfect world, we, we could get him in. Just a two-game loan. We'll take him for the semifinal. He'll <laughs> score the winner. We'll send him back to Juve. He'll help you. After he's picked up some type of an injury, exactly. you know. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they're canceling games over there because of the coronavirus, so he's not playing. Yeah, they're not much. using him anyway. We could take him. We could take him off your hands for the rest of the season. I'll tell you what. We'll send him Mustafi, all right? Listen, That'll make up for it. I'm in. I, I am fully in. If you want some of my own money to make this deal happen, I don't have much, but I'll offer up whatever it takes. Um, but, you know, uh, just looking at the you know the rest of the FA Cup matches, um, Chelsea-Liverpool, obviously the biggest one. West Brom-Newcastle, mm. Reading host Sheffield, uh, Spurs host Norwich City at the Toilet Bowl, Leicester host Birmingham. Um, it's Sheffield Wednesday hosting Man City and Derby County and Wayne Rooney hosting Manchester United. Yeah, hello, Wayne. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. And unfortunately, we're at a point where, you know, you can't have a replay, so they can't draw and, you know, give Rooney a return to Old Trafford, but um, still a big occasion nonetheless. Oh, absolutely. Um, Martin, I want to thank you for uh, for coming on. We got a lot of good, uh, a lot of good discussions uh, this week. Yeah, thank you, Zach. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, and remember, Ars- uh, Martin is the Arsenal content manager at Last Word on Football File. Follow him on Twitter at LWOS Martin. Make sure you follow us at Footy Adieu on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, pardon our French. <laughs>